Hello and welcome to the podcast from Holy Trinity Westerhales. We're delighted that you've joined us for this week's podcast and pray that you would be blessed through it. Well, turn with me please to Hebrews chapter 12 and um, let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, it's good to be reminded that you are a mighty fortress. We proclaim that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, is a mighty fortress, and the righteous can run to it, and they're safe. And so, Lord, we want to run to you. We want to run into your arms. We want to hear from you through your word today. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. And so may the speaker decrease so that Jesus Christ of Nazareth would increase, for we ask it in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, we read there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, these words, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And I thought it would be appropriate this morning if I just zero in on that, just that really single word there, peace. Because it's a word that we're kind of wondering, what does that mean in a world that we're living in um, right now? What does, that, uh, what does that peace mean? Now, the first thing I want to say about that is that uh, the peace that we read about here in Hebrews 12 is not um, about that, the greatest peace of all, the highest peace of all. That the highest peace of all is peace with God. The Bible tells us so clearly that naturally we are enemies with God. And you know, when I found that out as a teenager, it came as a bit of a shock to the system because I had thought that when it really came down to it, that I was one of the good guys and me and God were great mates. (laughs) But the Bible tells me that we're naturally in our minds enemies with, with God We don't want God's rule. We don't want God's rules. We don't want God's lordship in our lives. We're holding them off at at length. We've got the hand up and we'll say, stay out of my business, God. I I can get on fine by myself. But for many of you here, something began to happen. The Holy Spirit began to work in your heart, began to work in your life. And as the Holy Spirit began to work in your life, you began to realize too, things were not right between you and God. You hadn't been made right with God and you felt there was a distance between you and God and something within you went, this is not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And the Holy Spirit began to to, to speak to you And maybe God sent someone into your path and they shared some good news with you. Good news like Romans 5 verse 1, very famous there. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight and by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. 
It's a wonderful verse of Scripture that through faith in Christ we're made right with God, and now there isn't the divide. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he broke down the dividing wall. He ripped the curtain in two, and now we can have peace with God. When I bought my first guitar, I remember putting a sticker on it, and it just said, very cheesy, no peace, no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace. And the Holy Spirit worked in your life, and he, he, he brought you to peace with God. That is the highest peace that you can experience. And it's available to you today because it's through faith in Jesus Christ, and that faith, you can put your trust in him. And you can know peace with God. There is no greater peace. But it's not the peace that we read about here in Hebrews chapter 12, where we read, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. It's talking about the peace between neighbors and peace between communities and peace between nations and peace in the world. And it's not a peace that comes about simply through faith. It's not a peace that comes about through hoping for the best. It's a peace that only comes about with effort. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. But the peace the Bible speaks about comes about in a way that kind of goes against the grain. But when you look at history, you realize that is exactly the way peace is brought about between neighbors, between communities, between nations. On March the 18th, 1956, Martin Luther King Jr., the great civil rights leader and preacher at that time. He gave a sermon uh, in Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. And he was preaching uh, on the week that uh, a young lady, um, if we go there, she was called uh, Authorine Lucy. Uh, she died just a couple of weeks ago, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually. Authorine Lucy um, was a brave young black woman who became the first black woman to attend Alabama University. They'd had rules up to that point that no black students were allowed in the university, but they'd fought that and a federal judge had ordered that they let her attend. She was a very bright student. She had all the, the grades and very bravely, she accepted the place when they were forced to accept her. The first day went fine, but the next day, a mob of spoiled students and some criminal networks began to verbally abuse her. They began to burn crosses in front of her face. They started to spit at her. They threw eggs at her. She had to start being accompanied by campus security into the building. She arrived in a car. They would throw bricks at the car. She spoke about times where she would just get into the building and find a room where nobody was, and she closed the door behind her, and she would just pray to Almighty God, not knowing 
quite what to do. And Martin Luther King Jr. was preaching the week she'd been written to by the university and said, it's probably best if you don't come to the university anymore for your own safety and for the good of the university. And Martin Luther King Jr., he, he holds up a newspaper headline from the local newspaper. And it said this, all is quiet in Tuscaloosa today. Peace reigns on the campus of the University of Alabama. That was the headline. And this is what he preached that day. Yes, there was peace on campus, but it was a peace that had been purchased at the exorbitant price of an inept trustee board succumbing to the whims and caprices of a vicious mob. It was peace purchased at the price of capitulating to the forces of darkness. This is the type of peace that all men of goodwill hate. It's the type of peace that is obnoxious. It's the type of peace that stinks in the nostrils of Almighty God. See, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. But it probably doesn't surprise you to learn that true peacemakers in history following the word of Christ, were not those who went, why can't we all just get along? <laughs> they were not the sort of people who turned a blind eye to injustice, which was to let evil flourish. Because bringing about true peace on earth involves confrontation. You see, Jesus, he brought about the greatest peace of all, that peace that we can have with God. But in order to bring about that peace, Jesus had to confront all the forces of darkness arrayed against him, the enemy arrayed against him, evil coming against him, suffering and dying on that cross. Because bringing about true peace involves confronting those things that are evil. It involves confronting those things that bring about injustice because there can't be true peace unless those things that actually destroy peace in our community are confronted. And so true peacemakers are not those who don't confront the scourge of domestic violence that goes on in our city. I was hearing some figures this week. It is terrifying. True peace doesn't come about without confronting the scourge of drugs and the industry and the lives that are ruined round about. Because true peace involves confrontation. And I want to share with you a testimony. It's a wonderful testimony that I think really illustrates what I mean by that and what the Bible means by that. Um, I came across the testimony in all of places by an address that was given uh, by uh, pre the then president, Ronald Reagan, when he was invited to address the National Prayer Breakfast in America. And he told a story, a true story, about a man called Telemachus. He's called Saint Telemachus in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, he's not to be confused with Telemachus in Homer's Odyssey, if you're a well-read sort of person and that. He's a fictional character. This is 
Saint Telemachus. He was a, he was a fourth century monk. He was from um, Asia Minor. It's, it's kind of modern day Turkey nowadays. And he loved God. He was by all accounts just a little guy. But he would spend uh, weeks and months in prayer in lonely desert places. He would study the scriptures and meditate upon it day and night. And people would come to him for his wisdom and for his counsel from all around. He probably had a pretty peaceful existence, but one day as he was praying, he sensed the Holy Spirit say to him, you're to go to Rome. And Telemachus heard that call to go to Rome, not knowing why he was being sent to Rome or what he would find when he got there. But he made the long, arduous journey all the way into Rome. The day he arrived on the streets of Rome, he noticed that the crowds and crowds of people, they seemed to be all going in one direction. And so he decided, well, I'll just go with the crowd and I'll follow them. And he ended up in the great Colosseum in Rome. And as he stands with the crowd there in the great Colosseum, he's horrified to hear thousands and thousands of people baying for blood because on the arena floor, the gladiators are fighting. And they're killing one another for sport. And the crowd are loving it. And Telemachus is horrified by this. He's absolutely horrified because the city of Rome had only recently been dedicated to Christ. And as another gladiator plunged his sword into another and killed him, perhaps as many slaves on the arena floor, we know there were lions there as, as well, Telemachus, stirred in his spirit, runs out onto the arena floor. And the crowd is shocked to see someone from the crowd running onto the arena floor. And there's a kind of hush that goes over the crowd. And it, it's, it's captured in many, many paintings, famous paintings. But Telemachus, he puts his hand out and he cries at the top of his lungs, in the name of Christ, forbear. And the crowd hear this, and they, they start to boo him. And so he cries out once again, in the name of Christ, forbear. And now they, they start to get angry because he's spoiling their fun. He's spoiling their entertainment. A third time, he puts his hand up, and he says, in the name of Christ, desist from this. And a mob run onto the field and they stone him, the historian uh, Theodora records, and they stoned him to death. But I want to tell you something, that was the last gladiator fight that was fought in the Colosseum. Because the emperor, who wasn't there that day, heard about what had happened. And he was so horrified by it, he brought an end that brutal, wicked sport where people would enjoy for their entertainment watching people killing one another. 
because this is the way true peace comes about. It's when somebody in the name of Christ goes without the weapons of this world, and that's very important, without the weapons of this world. And they go in the name of Christ, often putting themselves in harm's way, often at the cost of their own lives or their own well-being, just as Christ did on the cross. And he brings an end. And you can look it up later on on Google about that was the end of the gladiatorial fighting in Rome. How one man could make a difference when he takes a stand for peace. But he could have just gone along with the crowd. I think the modern way of thinking about peace was, well, just let everyone, let bygones be bygones. Let just everyone get on with what they, what they want to do. But that makes you a false prophet. It's what Jeremiah warned about. He, he warned about the prophets who were all saying, all the false prophets were saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Because peace between our neighbors and peace between our communities, peace between our nations. It only comes about when evil is confronted without the weapons of this world. And remember that. That's the way history shows it. I've just heard so many testimonies of people going into communities devastated by violence and, and drugs and taking a stand for Jesus at personal cost to themselves but something happening. And often something awful happens, but God changes it around. He, do, he uses it for good. Because these are people who are true heroes of their faith, and they're not looking for their reward in this life. They're looking for their reward in the life to come. And I think people like Telemachus... I think, I think he's recorded, he's not recorded in the, the heroes of the first faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He, he, he wasn't born yet. But I think he gets on the supplementary list in heaven of those who took their stand for Christ without the weapons of this wall and were willing to confront those things that would truly bring peace. I'm crying out, to the Lord in prayer, Lord, would you strengthen your people in Ukraine and in Russia right now to be so brave like some of the saints of old, so brave that without the weapons of war could confront those things that are evil and bring about a miracle? Because that's the way it happens in, in history. The trouble with wars is they just create more wars there's another battle to fight. It's, it's a bit like in, in school. When my brother was being bullied by someone and so he turned on him and beat up the bully. And then everybody else wanted to fight him after that. Just to prove they were... It just, war, it just creates another war. There's a different way. And the Bible talks about peace in a very specific way sense. But what about us? We're, we're not facing invading forces, God forbid. 
But what about in our own lives? Are there things that would bring about peace that we might have to confront and it might not be very easy for us? Well, let's just read the rest of the verses. We haven't got a lot of time, so I'm not going to go into them. I just want you to, just want the people of God to hear the word of God. Let the word of God stir the people of God. Verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness grows up to cause trouble and defile many. If you want to find out about some of the deeper meaning of this, go and have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 28 uh, later on today, and you'll see about this root of bitterness. But let's just take it on just the surface level, just a first level reading of bitterness. How bitterness can manifest itself in unforgiveness. How it manifests itself in, in jealousy how it manifests itself in churches when we feel disappointed when someone didn't do something for, for us that they should have done or they haven't done that. And the Bible talks about how a root of bitterness can get into our hearts and our minds. And I received a word this morning, uh, emailed to me first thing this morning, and it was just talking, it was talking about these very things. And it was saying how we really need to guard our hearts as we come in worship because it begins as like a film that goes around our hearts and we need to deal with those heart issues. Because it's no good the church talking about peace if we can't be at peace with one another. Because that's where it starts in how it really affects us day to day and learning to forgive when people have wronged us. And learning to move on when we feel disappointed by others, by another Christian, or someone who was supposed to be a Christian and they did this to me, or someone, or disappointed in church, or whatever that, that film that gets around our hearts and leaves a distance between one another. No good wanting peace somewhere else. When the Bible talks about we're to have fellowship with one another, we're to love one another, see to it that no bitter root grows up to trouble and defile many, and many churches have been defiled by that. Verse 16, see that no one is sexually immoral. Is that something that you're going to have to take a peaceful without the weapons of this world stand on. You know, if you've read the, the Scottish curriculum for what they share with in our secondary schools about, about sex, and that, you'd be horrified by the content of that. The, every perversion against what the Word of God says. Where sex is to be kept for marriage between a man and a woman. And the marriage bed is to be kept pure and holy. That's what the Bible says. That's what God's word says. But try standing up in some circumstances and you'll feel exactly like Telemachus with the crowd being for your blood that you dare speak up. 
against whatever sexual perversion is allowed in the latest one, and they change every day. But maybe you'll have to do that because it's the only thing that's going to bring true peace instead of the sexual insanity that has, has, has come over some of our young people and they're just kind of lost in a sea not knowing who they are and who God has made them and how precious and special they are in God's sight. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or the final thing here or is godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. We don't have time to go into that. It deserves a sermon all of its own. But just to say, just on the surface level, about what needs to be confronted if we're going to really bring peace, that peace that changes communities, changes our world, changes the way people treat one another, changes the way that we are treated. We know that Esau, he was willing to trade something that was spiritual and eternal for something that was worldly and temporary. And that temptation is just so common for everyone, for me, for you in this world. Don't do it. Don't trade those things that are eternal and spiritual for those things that are worldly. And they only last a short while because these are the sort of things that bring discord in our lives. They're not the things that bring peace. I put up a final screen. If we go into the final screen there, you'll see... This is what's recorded in history about Telemachus. It's a wonderful story. When the admirable emperor was informed of this, he numbered Telemachus in the number of victorious martyrs, and he put an end to that impious, that unholy spectacle. Let's just come before God in prayer. Lord Jesus, you said... If you, if you, you only had known the things that would bring peace. But it's hidden from you now. Lord, we pray for those things that maybe has been hidden from us. That you would open our eyes by your Holy Spirit and through your word the things that truly bring peace in the biblical sense. We know, Lord Jesus, though you are the Prince of Peace, you have also come to bring a sword. Not that you accepted anybody fighting on your behalf or wielding a sword, but you, bring, you came to bring a dividing line between good and evil between justice and injustice, between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And Lord, may we be found on that side that bring peace and not chaos. And for any, Lord, who are having to take a stand on your word, whether far away from us in another country or here, in Scotland, in our workplaces, in our schools, 
in our offices, in our churches. Lord, make us strong in you, standing for those things that will truly bring peace. Prince of peace. May those things that are from you today, Lord, nestle, rest within our hearts. May we carry them into the coming weeks and months, especially when we're faced with tricky decisions on how we're to act. Lord, if anything I've spoken is not from you, Lord, may it just fall away and be forgotten in an instant. Hear our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.